Hello everyone, welcome back to Christian's Colloquy. I'm so glad that you could join me again this week. As many of you have realized and let me know, I have been missed on YouTube and my podcast recently. For the past month or two months almost, I have been not uploading. I want to first thank everyone who's reached out to me asking how I'm doing, what's going on, and checking in on me. Thank you so much. I really appreciate that. And it's nice that Christian's Colloquy has been missed by a good number of people. So here I am back at it to give a brief explanation for those who are wondering, my my audience uh, who was missing me a little bit. I had a non-COVID virus a month ago. I have to specify that as it's uh, still early 2022 as I'm recording this. COVID is still a concern. So I had a non-COVID virus, which had me down for a good two weeks. And then right after that, I really had to catch up on my schoolwork and work on my final papers. Uh, as many of you have, uh, have heard, if you're at my church or one of my my friends online, on Facebook or other social media platforms. This semester, I officially handed in my last paper for my coursework stage on my PhD. So that was very busy. I was doing an independent study on evangelical Anglican missions to the Caribbean in the 19th century. So it was fascinating work, good work, relates to a lot of stuff I talk about on my channel and on my blog, but it definitely kept me busy. But anyway, here we are, we're back and we're diving back in. Thankfully, while I was down working on my papers, during my downtime, while I wasn't recording and uploading, I was thinking about Christian's Colloquy, thinking about the stuff I want to do, people I want to host, and different uh, series I want to uh, sort of organize. So don't worry, for the next, at least over the summer, I plan to be consistently uploading and giving you, my audience, the stuff that you have requested. So keep an eye out for that. But before diving into the things that I'm really looking forward to in terms of that series I mentioned, Baptist Thoughts On, and uh, my first from a, a dear brother Shane. I will be talking about the Crusades and I'll get into monasticism and of course bridging those, the, the Templars and those knightly monastic orders. But before getting there, I realized I left you hanging on Phyllis Wheatley. So today, very briefly, I'm going to introduce you to two of Phyllis Wheatley's poems. For those who don't recall or just need a refresher, we introduced this famous uh, African-American poet from the 18th century last time. So please, link in the description, check out that episode introducing her fascinating life and spirituality. But now I will introduce you to two of her poems, the first one on virtue, the second one speaking about her experience as an African-American. Anyway, up on your screen now, if you're watching on YouTube, will be the first poem on virtue. And for those listening on the podcast, listen carefully. We'll be unpacking a few lines and talking about it. This is On Virtue. O thou bright jewel in my aim, I strive to comprehend thee. Thine own words declare, wisdom is higher than a fool can reach. I cease to wonder and no more attempt thine height to explore or fathom thy profound. But, O oh, my soul, sink not into despair. Virtue is near thee, and with gentle hand would now embrace thee, hovers over thine head. Fain would the heaven-born soul with her converse, then seek, then court her for her promised bliss. Auspicious queen, thy heavenly pinion spread, and lead celestial chastity along. Lo, now her sacred retinue descends, arrayed in glory from the orbs above. Attend me, virtue, through my youthful years. O oh, leave me not to thy f the false joys of time, but guide my steps to endless life and bliss. Greatness or goodness, say what I shall call thee, to give a higher appellation still. Teach me a better strain, a nobler lay, O oh, thou enthroned with cherubs 
in the realms of day. What a beautiful poem. I hope that you will listen to me read it again, or please, in the description down below, click the link and you can find the poem to read it for yourself. It's worth thinking about and meditating upon. But why is that? So now I will give you a few brief notes about the poem, its context, and then talk about some of the lines. First thing I want to let you know is that this poem was originally published in 1773. It was part of Wheatley's first collection of poems. But this individual poem was first written in 1766. It's one of Wheatley's earliest poems, which is fascinating to think about. Many people will disregard it as a poem from her infancy as a poet, but I think we could see her great skill with word, with verse, and how she just describes virtue. What's critical to recognize here is the context. Many people have wondered what Wheatley is getting at with this poem. There are many theories trying to interpret it. People take either social approaches. It's popular to read it in a feminist perspective. But I think the best way to read it is a reflection of Wheatley's evangelical spirituality. And so you know what I'm saying, what I'm about to say right now isn't just me talking. Down below you can find a link to an article written which describes everything I'm about to say. So I want to credit that where that certainly clarified my own thoughts and helped me precisely pinpoint some of the context. So check down that commonplace article down below to read a full description of what I'm about to say. As I mentioned before in my first episode on Wheatley, as an African-American formerly enslaved, Wheatley was still profoundly influenced by evangelical spirituality. As I mentioned in previous episodes throughout February, evangelical spirituality and African-Americans in the 18th century often went hand in hand. We've covered many of them on the channel, the famous black evangelicals, Odilao Equiano, Lemuel Haynes, and now Phyllis Wheatley. Phyllis Wheatley, when she wrote this poem in 1766, very likely would have been influenced by the writings of Jonathan Edwards. For those who know him, have heard about him on the channel or elsewhere, Jonathan Edwards was a leading evangelical. He was one of the three key figures of the First Great Awakening alongside John Wesley and George Whitfield. But Jonathan Edwards, as we talk about, has a bit of a checkered legacy given his involvement in slavery. But as we will see here, Wheatley, as someone who was enslaved at the time of writing this, who was a black person, a black woman in America, she still was greatly influenced and appreciative of the theology of Edwards. And while we can't be certain about this connection, this poem on virtue written in 1766 was written one year and two years after Edwards' great publications, the first one being The Freedom of Will in 1754 and The Nature of True Virtue in 1765. And on The Nature of True Virtue in 1765, that was published in Boston, right around the corner from where Wheatley was based with the family who owned her. So take that in. I don't think it's a chance that Wheatley had this amazing poem in 1766 called On Virtue without interaction with Edwards's 1765 on the nature of true virtue. I think what we're seeing here is Wheatley's poetic response to Edwards' work on virtue. So why do I say that? Is it just, it, could it be a coincidence the name Virtue a year later, despite Edwards' work being a ma major publication in the same era? If we're doubting that or if we're wondering about that, I encourage you, I'll put it back up on the screen now for those on YouTube. Let's take a look at what's discussed in the poem. I'll just draw your attention to the first stanza. O thou bright jewel, in my aim I strive to comprehend thee. Thine own words wisdom declare, wisdom is higher than the fool can reach. 
So what I encourage you to think about, if you're aware of Edwards's convictions about how regeneration happens, how the new birth happens, there's a strong view of total depravity. Humans in their sinfulness cannot reach God, cannot turn to him, cannot apprehend God on their own striving. So here we might see virtue as a description of God's salvation and wisdom being an example of reaching spiritual enlightenment. Wisdom is higher than the fool than a fool can reach. Wisdom, spiritual knowledge is with it's out of hand for someone who is dead in their sin. If we continue on in that stanza, virtue is near thee and with gentle hand would now embrace thee hovers over thine head. Here we see Wheatley's understanding of God calling out to sinners, the general call. That virtue is near to people. Though they can't reach it, though they can't reach wisdom, virtue is nearby. And virtue is longing for people and is hovering over people. If you read on, you see the description. Fain would the heaven-born soul with her converse, then seek, then court her for her promised bliss. The promised bliss of salvation. We could see here the soul would not converse, would not seek, would not court with her promised bliss. The person dead in their sin would want nothing to do with God's wisdom, would not would want nothing to do with virtue. But let's take a look at that second stanza. Lo, now her sacred retinue descends, arrayed in glory from thy orbs above. Attend me, virtue, through my youthful years. O leave me not to the false joys of time. Here we see uh, Wheatley's description of God's virtue, salvation, coming totally graciously down to the sinner. The sinner who would have nothing to do with it, the fool who could not reach wisdom, the person who would not court heavenly virtue, who would not seek after her promised bliss, it comes down attend me virtue we see that her sacred retinue descends god's condescension gracious graciously going to sinners going after them those who would not want nothing to do with him and then we see after that happens after virtue descends after god's salvation comes in the second stanza but guide my steps to endless life and bliss greatness or goodness say what i shall call thee to give a higher appellation still Teach me better strain, a nobler lay, O thou enthroned with cherubs in the realms of day. After regeneration, we're trusting in God to lead us down the path we have been called to. I encourage you, read this poem in the context of Ephesians 2, 8 to 10, that salvation is totally of grace, not by our own works. And that in verse 10, as we see, I encourage you, I'll have it up on the screen now, that we are saved to work, to do the good works that God has prepared for us. So what we see here virtue on virtue by Phyllis Wheatley is a powerful description of the evangelical understanding of conversion and how that conversion leads to newness of life. So it's a response to Jonathan Edwards' evangelical writing, his understanding of an evangelical on the new birth and the Christian life. And here we see the poet Phyllis Wheatley putting that to verse. And of course, if you want to read more about this, check out that link down below and get to know a bit more about evangelical spirituality. Lemuel Hayes, that other African-American who lived during the same time, who was also, also influenced by Jonathan Edwards, he had much to say about regeneration. So in the description down below, check out my uh, work on Lemuel Hayes and the fruits of regeneration. Very much all tied together. Let's look at one more poem from Wheatley. This one, this short one is called, On Being Brought from Africa to America. I'll read it out for you now. Twas mercy brought me from my pagan land. 
taught my benighted soul to understand that there's a God, that there's a Savior too. Once I redemption neither sought nor knew, some view our sable race with scornful eye, their color is a diabolical dye. Remember Christians, Negroes, black as Cain, may be refined and join the angelic train. Again, here we see evangelical spirituality in Wheatley as she describes her generation. But more interestingly, she describes evangelical regeneration, their understanding of the new birth, her understanding of being saved by grace and taught the ways of God in the context of her experience as an enslaved African, stolen from Africa and brought to the new world. It's interesting, while we don't see a description of slavery and the horrors, we actually see her speaking about this enslavement in a positive light. She praises God that through this experience, being stolen from her home in Africa, that it was through this she was brought to America where she encountered the truth of Christianity, where through this horrible experience, she was taught the ways of God, the ways of the Savior Christ, and she was saved by God through this experience. Us reading this today might have great mixed feelings about this. We will look at slavery, we will look at European colonialism and imperialism in Africa rightfully with horror, with disgust, with great shame. And we understand how horrible it was what the European colonists did in Africa, how the slavers would incite African conflict, would purchase men and women, would directly steal them, would enslave them as chattel for generations upon generations. But I think what Wheatley calls us to, without justifying this slavery, we could see how God was at work. We might look at Genesis 50, 20. I'll have that up on the screen now. I encourage you to look it up. Essentially, the point is that what people mean for evil, take slavery, God meant for good. Take the salvation that was conveyed through that horrible experience. Wheatley, who experienced slavery firsthand, like many others, take Odalau Equiano, take Kuguano and other Africans who were taken as slaves, they would not be put off from evangelical spirituality. While they would rightly condemn slavery and speak out against it, would advocate for the abolition of the slave trade and slavery itself throughout the early 19th century, they recognized that God still used this. That the slavery and the Christians who per uh, perpetuated slavery did not represent Christ, did not represent the religion of the Bible, did not represent the truth of Christianity. Those things happen to come in hand in hand, but they ought to be distinguished. So that you could have figures, black women like Phyllis Wheatley living as a slave could recognize the glory of God, the excellency of Christ in the midst of her unique and horrible context. Anyway, there's a lot more that I could say that ought to be said. We've discussed slavery and abolition throughout this channel. I encourage you to check out my recent episode on evangelicalism and abolitionism. But anyway, I hope that just contextualizes the picture a bit. As we think about the legacy of evangelical Christianity, don't go away thinking that it is the religion of slavers. While people have abused Christianity, while people have abused even evangelical Christianity, that does not reflect the Christ of evangelical Christianity, as demonstrated by Wheatley, who can be grateful for her horrible experience because it is what God used to draw her to the promised bliss we saw described in On Virtue. Anyway, that's the poems of Phyllis Wheatley, two examples. I hope that you find them encouraging. I hope that you will study more, and I hope that you will join me again on Christian's Colloquy as we continue to explore not only Christian life, but Christian faith, history, and practice. Anyway, take care until next time. Thank you.